Let's pray. Heavenly Father, through your word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, guide us ever closer as followers of Christ Jesus. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've come to the realization in the past couple of weeks that I'm a radical person. Now, you might laugh a little bit at that because I don't look radical, do I? I mean, I've got a suit and got a tie on. I don't use radical language or jargon. And I certainly haven't been out on the streets protesting or burning anything down. But yet, I am a radical person because the culture has shifted so much that I now find myself to be countercultural. Yeah, amen, right? I am countercultural. I am radical. I'm on the outside, all because I follow Jesus Christ. I'm so radical that I believe the Bible is God's word. I'm so radical that I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. And I am so radical that I believe the gospel is the answer to humanity's most dire problem. That's how radical I am. Yeah. But I never set out to be a radical. I didn't. I was born in 1960. So that by the time Woodstock happened, I was only nine years old. Couldn't go to Woodstock. And by the time I graduated high school, well, communes and all that had pretty much faded out of the way. Now, I did become an actor. And that subculture is certainly narcissistic and hedonistic. But even then, I was never in the in-group. You know, I was never really cool. But God pursued me. Even in the midst of all of this, God pursued me, and eventually over time, and it took a long time by the way, I became a follower of Jesus Christ. And I started to pursue Jesus and Him who is the truth. And the more I became and followed Jesus and His truth, the more I became molded into His image, the image that God desired, the less I want what the world says is the truth, which is actually what the world says is a lie. And quite frankly, as growing up, personally, what I told myself, which was actually a lie. So here I am today. I'm a radical. Right? Yeah. So the question is, this morning is, how did that happen? Because i got to tell you, it was not by my own power, it was not by my own will that I became a follower of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, at work in and through me, period. So last week we covered how the Holy Spirit convicts a person of sin and brings them to salvation, which, by the way, is the greatest miracle right there, that, you, that I am even saved is a miracle. But it doesn't just stop there, right? It's not like you're saved and, whoop, that's it. That's that's the rest of my life. No, there's a whole lot more 
that occurs as a follower of Jesus Christ. And not just your personal walk with Jesus, your personal faith, but in the service of the ministry of Christ Jesus, in the service of the gospel. There's a lot more work to do. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. And this process is called sanctification. It's a big word, right? But it is a very, very important word. Sanctification. So what does that mean? It means being set apart. It's the process of being made pure and holy. So, you might read those words. The process of being made pure and holy. And you might think to yourself, well, i got a long ways to go on that. And I'm with you on that. i got a long ways to go to being made pure and holy. And you might think to yourself, well, I'm trying, but I'm no saint. Oh, but indeed, you are a saint. So, what does a saint mean? Saint comes from this Greek word, which means called and set apart. Isn't that what sanctification is? Consecrated as God's chosen new creations in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, saint is the word Paul uses the most to describe Christians in his letters. He begins, for example, in uh, Romans, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So whether you think about it or not, you are a saint, one who is called by God, set apart by God, given a new life in Christ Jesus. Now, did that mean that all of the people in Rome, the Christians in Rome, were perfect? No, they weren't perfect, were they? Does that mean that you and I, now that we are saints, are perfect? Well, we know that's not true either. But it means that they were set aside. They were consecrated by God. They were sanctified by God just as you were called, just as you were set apart, just as you were consecrated by God. Paul, in his letters to the Corinthians, he said this, but you were washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You are saints. So very simply, live like it. Live as the calling to which you have been called. But here's the problem, right? We can't do that by ourselves. I know I can't do it by myself. I am by myself a failure following Christ Jesus if it's just by my own power. And that's where the work of the Holy Spirit comes in. So last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit convicts people. And now today, this week, it is the Holy Spirit who sanctifies. And we are again in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, just doing verses 12 through 15. It says this, Starting in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Remember, the context of this is that this is on the night in which Jesus was to be betrayed. He is with his disciples. He is speaking with them. He is teaching them. He is 
praying for them. And they have a lot that they're going to be going through as he has been crucified and when he dies, and certainly before the resurrection. So he is comforting them. But he can't tell them everything that they need to know right now because they can't bear it. And this shouldn't be any surprise because as we raise children, we can't tell them everything about the world all at once. They need to learn certain things along the way. It doesn't mean we hide things from them, but we tell them as they are able to take it in. So Jesus is comforting them, and he says, I am not leaving you, and I'm certainly not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And there's going to be things that you need to learn and that you need to grow in. And thus he is going to send the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth. Now let's pause here for a moment. It says, the Spirit of truth. Now, I know in the title of this slide, I've got truth capitalized. In the actual text, truth is not capitalized. And so a lot of people in our day and age will read this to be the spirit of a truth. One of the truths out there, not the truth. And when you take truth to be just my truth, this is what's called subjective truth. Subjective truth is based on a person's perspective, feelings, or opinions. And whatever I think, whatever I perceive to be true, whatever I feel, that's what truth is. So I can be a man. I can be a woman. I can be a little girl. In 2015, in Canada, there was a story of a 52-year-old man who six years earlier decided that he didn't want to be an adult anymore. And he had seven kids and was married. And he left his wife, he left his kids to become a six-year-old little girl. This is a true story. And there are people who adopted him and let him play with their grandchildren. This is the extent of where subjective truth and the ridiculousness has taken us. Now, there's something that's been popping up in the news a little bit more. I expect this to come to the forefront one of these days even more. It's something called body integrity dysphoria, B-I-D or B-I-I-D for short. What this means is, is that I've got a normal functioning body, but I think I'm really an amputee, that I shouldn't have a leg or even both legs. So there are people who have asked doctors to amputate healthy limbs or paralyze themselves or make themselves deaf, deaf or blind. And they call them transabled. Okay? So this is the depth of what the world has been leading to. And when you take away truth with a capital T and just make it subjective, my truth, whatever I want, whatever I feel, this is the point where we get to. 
But Jesus is not talking about the Holy Spirit as one of the truths. He is saying the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth with a capital T. What he is talking about is objective truth. Objective truth means that it is true for all people at all times across all cultures. It does not matter if you disagree. It does not matter if you don't like it. It does not matter if you have a different opinion about it. It is still true for all people, all cultures, at all times. The Spirit of Truth. Capital T. Now, when it says, when Jesus said that the Spirit will lead us into all truth, people get wonky on that as well. Because they think the Holy Spirit is going to speak a new word, a different word, and that will enlighten us about a hidden meaning or hidden truth that has not been given to the world. When that happens, you get people who say, I'm a prophet. I have this new word from God. Follow me. Joseph Smith did that. Jim Jones did that, and a lot of people drank the Kool-Aid. 918 people died from cyanide. And, but these people will say, oh, I have a new word of God. And by the way, it is rampant in our culture today. The list of heretical pastors is, is so big right now. It's just amazing. See, these people are not actually seeking the Holy Spirit. They are seeking something outside of the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? It's actually really simple. The Holy Spirit will only say what he has heard from the Father and the Son. That's it. The Holy Spirit will speak what he has heard from the Father and the Son. Verse 13 through 15 now from our reading. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You see, the Holy Spirit does not work apart from the Father or apart from the Son. Not at all. What the Father says, the Son says. What the Son says, the Father says. What the Father and Son says, the Holy Spirit says. How could it be otherwise? You can't have different truths out there. There's only one truth. And this truth comes from the very Word of God. God's Word is truth. Jesus said this in what's called the high priestly prayer, chapter 17 of John. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Notice he says your word is truth, not a truth, not one of the truths. Your word is truth, period. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also might be sanctified. They are sanctified 
You are sanctified. I am sanctified by his word. Because his word is truth. The way we are sanctified is through the very word of God. Some of you might be thinking, why haven't I grown more in my faith? I'd like to grow more in my faith. The easy answer is, well, are you in his word? Because when you come to his word, his word works on you. It can't help but work on you if you're in his word. And another thing that needs to be brought out here is that the Holy Spirit's leading always points us to who? To Jesus, who is the truth, not our truth. Therefore, going back to where we started, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth, must point to a greater understanding of Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is not pointing you into a greater understanding, a greater following of who Jesus is, it's not the Holy Spirit. You see, there are a lot of people who say, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I have a new word. But it's not for the glory of Jesus. They point to the glory of themselves or the glory of their church or the glory of something. But it's not. It's all about the glory of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit points you to, brings you to. You see, you are, you are saints. You are saints and are called to be saints through his word for the glory of Christ. That's it. For the glory of Christ. That's the work of sanctification. So it starts first with the gospel message. And it encompasses your whole self. Your mind, your body, your spirit, your emotions, everything that you have is for the glory of Jesus. So, when you start to live for the glory of Christ, you have a different life. And it changes who you are. So, you might clean up your language, for one thing. You might stop doing things such as drinking, uh, certainly excessive to drunkenness, right? Or drugs, or other vices that we would call. It might change your, how you interact with people. And from the outside, people say, oh, you're cleaning up your life. But that's not how it actually begins. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit is sanctification from the inside out. Not the outside in, but it's the inside out. That is the work. Sanctification works from the inside out. This is a really important understanding because a lot of people will make being a Christian into an outward, moralistic aspect of life. If you are a good Christian, then you don't do this, this, and this, right? We've heard that. Probably our parents told us that. If you are a good Christian, then you don't smoke, chew gum, chase women. What? I don't, is there some old saying like that, right? 
Apparently, I don't know it. But right, there, there, there's that aspect. And it's all from the outside, an outside pressure. If you have that as your faith, it will lead to tears and agony because it will crush you. You never know how good enough you have to be. Look, I've had a lot of people come to me to want men and women and want me to fix their life, to fix their relationships and so forth. And there are people who have actually come to faith in Christ Jesus. Or if they were of faith, they've come to a greater faith. And it is a miracle to see how they have been changed from the inside out. And because they're changed from the inside out, their relationships change. Their life, so to speak, gets cleaned up. But I've also had men and women come to me and want me to just fix the behaviors. And these are some of the saddest cases ever. Because behavior modification only lasts so long. And it doesn't really fix the problem. And I've seen these people just self-destruct. And it's heartbreaking. You know, when, when I do marriage counseling, either pre-marriage or marriage counseling, we always start with who Jesus is, right? What's faith? What does faith in Christ Jesus mean? We start there. Uh, and it's a place that licensed therapists and counselors don't start. But again, I'm so radical that I think Jesus actually is the answer to all relationships. You see, when you are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will bring His words of Scripture to the forefront in you. And you're going to hear Him now in a different way. For example, Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Now, a lot of people hear that and say, Oh, to be a good Christian, I need to obey the commandments. But what does it say up front? If you love me. Remember last week, I talked about the spastic paralytic, the junior high kid who had trouble speaking. And all he could get out in front of all of his peers who were ridiculing him was, Jesus loves me, I love him. And that brought the conviction. So it's the Holy Spirit at work to say, oh, do you love Jesus? And that, maybe that's just the question for you today. Do you love Him? If so, obey His commandments. It also says this, the Holy Spirit will bring this to word. By this we know, uh, this is from 1 John, by this we know that the love of the children, that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. James wrote this, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Paul wrote in Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, what does sanctification do? Sanctification 
is both right believing and right living. You can't have one without the other. A lot of people say, well, I just go to church and I believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior and their life is no different than the rest of the world. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit says it is not only right believing, it is right living. Not because you're going to earn extra points in heaven or for heaven, but because you love God and you understand who He is. So let's talk about what right living is, to live by the Spirit. And here we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. Now, we actually covered this um, last summer during a series, Life in the Spirit. But I think this is a good reminder for us to think about as we think about being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, starting verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So, got a picture here to show you. When you were growing up, did you ever did your parents ever buy Sunday clothes or good clothes? Right? And you had to get dressed up. And I remember, man, I, I had a wool jacket when I was like six or seven, just itchy. I also had a buzz cut then too. Maybe I should bring in that picture. But your parents, once the picture was done or whatever, and you said, Can we go out and play? And your parents said something like, don't get your good clothes dirty. They cost us good money or something like that, right? Right? But of course, the before and after picture. But, but that's, that's what we did, right? We, we didn't care about what we were given. We just wanted to do whatever we wanted to do and we got dirty. Well, in a like manner, You have been given pure robes of righteousness. You've been given pure robes of righteousness, and they were given to you and purchased with a costly grace, one that we can never pay back. So what do I mean by costly grace? Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer from World War II, who was ultimately killed by the Nazis, He said this, It is costly grace because it cost a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. 
Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Costly grace is the sanctuary of God. It has to be protected from the world and not thrown to the dogs. In simple terms, you don't give what Christ has given you, this costly grace, and then roll around in the mud. You are saints and you've been called to a greater calling. But the problem is, the old nature dies hard, doesn't it? It's lured by the world. And it wants to grab a hold of that old nature and bring that old nature back to life. And by the way, our old nature will always look for loopholes in God's Word. So God gave us a few things about what it means to put to death or the deeds of the flesh from Galatians. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Please note, by the way, this is not the only list throughout Scripture. There are actually many more things that are given to us to tell us what is righteous and what is unrighteous living. See, the whole thing is the more you are in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, the more that you are led by the Spirit and you have tasted what is good and true and righteous, the less you have a desire for things that are unrighteous, that are not of God. As a matter of fact, when it grows, it grows to a revulsion of the things of the world that are not of God. Not just, oh, I'm impartial, but a revulsion to those particular things. So we are to fill ourselves up with what is good, what is righteous. We are to pray to be filled with what God says is good. Philippians says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So we are to meditate. We are to think about these things. And we are to fill ourselves with that. Now, Dwight Moody, the evangelist Dwight Moody, he actually took an illustration. He took a glass and he said, tell me, how do I get the air out of this glass? And one man said, well, you can suck it out with a pump. And Moody said, nope, that's just going to crush the glass. And there were a bunch of other ideas that people had. And he says, I'm going to show you. And so he takes a pitcher of water and fills up the glass. It displaces the air. And that's what you and I are supposed to do, being filled with what is good, what is right, what is admirable, all through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of Jesus Christ. 
we're to fill our cup this way. You see, one of the problems with the just say no campaign, right? We all grew up with that one. Just say no to drugs. It doesn't fill you up with what is right, what is true, what is good. Now, should we just say no? <laughs> well, yeah, that too. So sanctified by the Holy Spirit is two things. You are filled with what is good, what God says is good. And then you also pray for the Holy Spirit to point out and put to death the things that are not pleasing to God. You become more sensitive to don't do that. And you start to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, you know what? That's not right. There are certain TV shows that you might stop watching just because how they use the name of Jesus Christ is despicable. And it becomes so distasteful, right? So we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we should follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. This might mean, by the way, that you make new friends. This, because you got to be around people who are also going to fill you up with the things that are good, rather than try to fill you up with the things that are not of God, not of His righteousness. Why do we all do, why do we do this? It's really simple. It says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back to into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You are a new creation in Christ. You have a new family. And when you start to live that way, then you have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, because you have been filling up your cup with what is good. So James said we should be doers of the word, right? So what do we do here? We hear and apply the word. Because you have been called out by God, set apart by the Father, for the sake of Jesus Christ the gospel, and you are being sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. I bet you didn't know that when you walked in here, huh? That's what's going on. So, three things. Read the Word of God. When you are in His Word, it moves you. It changes you. Let Him work on you from the inside out. And pray to be led by the Spirit and be filled with whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. And then also pray for the Spirit to put to death the things that are not noble, right, pure, lovely, or admirable. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? But this is the life that you and I are called to live. And then when you start to really live that life, you too will be a radical. Amen.